0: Temp check. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today.
1: If you want to make an impact online, GoDaddy.com has what you need. Dot-com names as low as $1.99. Plus, world-class hosting, fast and easy website builders, and much more. As a listener of the Talking Metal podcast, enter METAL2, that's M-E-T-A-L-2, when you check out, and you will save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions may apply. See site for details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com, official sponsor of the Talking Metal Podcast.
2: Rock rock over London, Zurich,
1: Auckland, Dublin, Dallas, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Sydney, Indianapolis, Tokyo, Seattle, Paris, Paris, Budapest, Berlin, New York. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, two men who are committed
3: to rocking you wherever you might be, John Astronomy and Mark Striegel. Welcome to the Talking Metal Podcast, broadcasting around the world from TalkingMetal.com and StriegelsMusicNews.com. Welcome to a very special edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. John Astronomy here, coming to you from the one and only Silver Spacecraft in Jersey City, New Jersey. Today's Mother's Day. I want to send a special rock on to all the cool mothers out there. And I want to tell you about our one and only very, very special guest today. He's an author. He's a songwriter. He's a musician. He's a road manager. Mr. Del James. Now, most of you guys, most of you rockers, probably know Del from the end of the Guns N' Roses November Rain video, which was based on his short story Without You. But Del has written great music with Guns N' Roses, Testament, The Almighty, The Outpatients, Rhett Forrester, A ton of cool people. But all of you literary guys and sci-fi horror fans will definitely know Dell's cult classic collection of short stories, The Language of Fear. Now, The Language of Fear has recently been re-released on Dell Books, you guys got to go buy this book. We're going to tell you how to do it in the interview. There are stories about vampires. There are stories about acid baths in porno theaters on 42nd Street in New York City. There's stories about telephone prostitutes and rape. And it is just a truly demented, terrifying, yet stimulating horror sci-fi fantasy book. And you got to go get it. We are going to end today's podcast with a song that Del co-wrote with Testament called Leave Me Forever. Now, Testament has a brand new album out. It just came out April 29th. It's called The Formation of Damnation. And Del has been writing with Testament for a long time now, and he is all over this record. So be sure to click on the link on TalkingMetal.com in today's show notes and make a purchase and buy that track from iTunes. Better yet, just go out and buy the entire album and or both, because this is a killer track, killer record. And support Del James, support Testament, and support Talking Metal. And I want to get right into the interview. I got to do two things first. Next week, we have the great Dan Lorenzo from Hades, Nonfiction, and The Cursed on the podcast. And I got to tell you guys to support Talking Metal by going to GoDaddy.com via the links and the banners on TalkingMetal.com. Now, all you got to do is make a purchase... You could do it for a very low, low amount of money. For $6.95 a year, you can get your own domain name. It's the coolest thing to do, and it's the coolest thing to do at GoDaddy.com. I registered a ton. Astronomy.com, astronomy.net, JohnAstronomy.com, JohnAstronomy.net, my real name, JohnOstrosky.com, JohnOstrosky.net. You can do that. There's a banner that uh, if you click through, you get five bucks off any order of 30 bucks or more. And then there's another banner where you get 10% off your order. A lot of cool stuff, but that is the current way to support Talking Metal. Now, without any further ado, we're going to get directly into the interview with Mr. Dell James, and then we're going to follow it up with the great track, Leave Me Forever by Testament. You're going to love it.
1: Dell. let me officially welcome you to the Talking Metal podcast you are a video director, a writer, a road manager, magazine editor, father, meat eater, and atheist. And welcome to
0: Talking Metal. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Wow, that was, like, that was like the greatest intro I've ever had. I mean, <laughs> right on.
1: Cool. Well, listen, we're psyched to have you on, and we have read the book, The Language of Fear. Why, after so many years of being out of print, did you decide to re-release this
0: book? It wasn't me per se. I mean, if I'd had my way, the book would have always existed. It would have always stayed in print. But essentially what happened was because of the November Rain video, because at the end of the November Rain video, it says based on the short story without you by Del James, there was interest in my writings, my my private writings that prior to the video, there wasn't. So... I got an agent. My agent's a, a wonderful man named Tony Gardner. He shopped around and the people who were most interested was Dell, was the Abyss Line on Dell back in like nineteen ninety-five. And I was a fan of the Abyss Line. I couldn't have chosen a better home. Jean Cavellos, my editor there, she understood me. She got me. Um Poppy Zebright was on Abyss. Brian Hodge was on Abyss, Michael Arnzen. I mean, it was, it was Seattle during grunge, you know what I mean? It was yeah. Hollywood during you know, the, the, the mid-'80s. It was the place to be, and I somehow snuck in the door. Then Gene leaves, the line dies, my book is out of print by 97, and there's, there's no interest in me. Whatever interest there once was, regardless of how many copies I'd sold, was no longer there. So, But it you know, eventually it,
1: ended up coming back. Copies were going for real high prices on eBay.
0: That's kind of how it gets resurrected. So for a while there, I'm shell-shocked. I'm no longer in the club, or I'm no longer desirable. It's like, fuck, you know, my phone's not ringing or anything like that. Then uh, it starts going for Stupid money on eBay, okay? Then it winds up on a list of the top 10 most sought-after horror sci-fi titles where Stephen King writing as Richard Bachman is number one. Wow, okay? Wow. I, I, I'm on a list with, like, the people I grew up on, the people who I worship, and I, I'm clocking in at, like, number seven. So, hey, there is this interest in your book. My agent went back to the original publisher, Dell, said, you know what, apparently there is some interest in this. Would you guys consider doing a reprint deal? They were receptive to it. And uh, I took what was called a print-on-demand deal. And I took no advance for it. It was the quickest, easiest way to get the book back in circulation. I didn't want people getting jacked on ebay. It's embarrassing and humiliating when you meet someone, they've heard of your book, they ask you, hey, how can I read your book? And the answer is you can't, you know? Right. Fuck right, that. Sure. Fuck that. So we got it back and my hope, my goal was Get the book back out, create a little bit of a buzz, and people like yourself are helping me create that buzz so that my novel, my unpublished novel, A Celebration of Pain, gets read, and it is being read by Dell, so hopefully they will see, you know what? This guy can sell a few books. He can write a few words. Sure.
3: Absolutely. Now, Del, I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the inspiration for a few of the short stories in The Language of Fear. And uh, some of my personal favorites were Date Rape, Adult Nature (laughs) Material. I love The Melrose Vampire. And, of course, Without You is amazing. But let's start with Date Rape. What inspired you to write about that? Because I know a lot of this comes from personal experience.
0: Yeah, Date Rape, the male protagonist is a very confused, desperate man. And all of us have been that guy. The beauty of horror, the beauty of fiction, is I can think, I can fantasize, I can write any sick, morbid thought, and if I do it in a clever enough manner, if I do it in a convincing enough way, if I do it so it's entertaining enough... I get patted on the back for being a sick fuck, all right? <laughs> right. And that's what that is, you know? It's like, how far can you take your obsession?
3: One of the most powerful parts of that was when Judy's blood was on Eve's face.
0: <laughs> I just thought that was out
3: of control.
0: There's all kinds of fucked moments. I mean, I grew up on the Twilight Zone. I grew up on, on Tales of the Unexpected on NBC that, you know... It was Quinn Martin's Tales of the Unexpected. And each story kind of had, it was a morality play and it had a twist ending. So, you know, you're young, you're impressionable, you're drawn into this stuff and you get mind fucked. And then you try to mind fuck other people. So every now and then, you know, I hit the ball.
3: I had anxiety when reading Without You and some of the guitars were getting destroyed. As most of the talking <laughs> metal people know I have my own guitar collection, and I was actually freaking out while reading it.
0: Yeah, I mean, but come on. There's nothing more romantic than the symbolic destruction of material wealth and goods for honesty, for love, you know what I mean? Man. And that's what he's going through in those moments. You know, it's be careful what you wish for. You can have everything... Every fucking thing. But if you don't have those things that are truly important to us, the love that matters, then, uh, you know, all the blowjobs in the world are not as important as the fucking kiss that matters.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, totally. Now, speaking of without you, that was the inspiration for the videos that you directed. And, you know, one thing when I read Without You, I was, uh, I guess, surprised that the videos actually seem to take things even further or maybe in a different direction than uh, kind of expand upon the story. Is that what we're seeing in the video with scenes like The Wedding and stuff?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The truth of the matter is Axel gave me wonderful props. He gave me amazing props at the end of uh, November Rain. And we came up with, like, rough sketch ideas of, you know, creating the next great rock and roll movie. Right. And those videos, Don't Cry, uh, November Rain, and Estranged, were directed by a fellow named Andy Morihan. And there's some of my fingerprints on those things, but there's all kinds of idea expansion and stuff like that that... uh I get credit for that really isn't mine.
3: Mm. What I liked was watching November Rain again after reading Without You.
0: Very cool, yeah, I mean, there certainly are elements of the story in the video that after you've read the story, you can say, ah, you know? Right. I mean, the the, the, the casket, um, the pills on the bed, all that kind of shit you know, the lament, the, the the sorrow.
3: One of the things that I think is just a dangerous thing for a person like the character Maine was to have that gun in the safe.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I wouldn't want to be under the influence like he was with a gun like that nearby.
0: No, and the thing is, you know, if you have a certain disposition, if you're of a certain nature, and, you know quite possibly have addictive tendencies guns guns and drugs go hand in hand you know what i mean especially with rock stars when uh in the walk this way book when they're talking about recording and joe perry's shooting guns in one room while they're trying to track guitars in another that's so rock decadent you know what i mean totally so you know not that i'm a rock star but one of the first things I did when I did have a few dollars was buy a gun. you know what I mean wow. yeah it, it, it's it's such an empowering thing. And then when I had my first child, I had to get rid of the gun because statistics show that you know if someone's going to get shot in your house, it's going to be one of your family members. How do you fucking eliminate that? Take the goddamn Take the gun. gun out the well, house right totally. But I still love guns, you know I love movies, I love the imagery I love the fucking. Our, of uh, you know like man bikes dog the movie poster where you're just he's pointing at you that point of view that's one of the fucking coolest things ever
1: definitely speaking of dogs bloodlust the one <laughs> the one cool thing about that is the whole time i was reading it i kept thinking okay he's gonna blatantly reveal to us that this is a dog but you never quite go there i mean there's clues and hints and i guess my question is that is a dog right
0: it is a dog it is, it is a dog and I guess you know with Michael Vick now that makes me an asshole from writing it from that perspective because <laughs> I definitely do romanticize the gladiatorial aspect of fights to the death right. but there was this episode and I want to say it was an episode of the profiler where I'm watching this TV show and I'm like they read my fucking short story and they're riffing on it they're not ripping really? it off per se but uh, it had all kinds of, like, elements that, for me personally, I mean, if they didn't read it, then, you know, we were on the same wavelength a couple of years yeah. apart. And it's the same thing like you were saying earlier about watching November Rain after having read the short story. Right. It's like, okay, I, I feel that. I understand that now.
3: I think there's a real, real good chance that they did read that short story and then kind of based their profiler episode after yours.
0: It was really cool, you know? It was about these underground fights to the death, and they had certain angles and certain uh, movements and moods that I was just like, yeah, all right, devil horns up.
1: Now, the book opens up with the lines, there are no coincidences, only chance and fate exist, which is a line that a lot of us saw at the beginning of a major motion picture, Signs, M. Night Shyamalan's movie. Have you ever spoken with M. Night and found out? I'm assuming he's a fan of the book.
0: I hope he is, you know, but no, I found that out by reading my Wikipedia page, all right? I I, wow. I saw the movie and never fucking even caught it, you know what <laughs> I mean? But uh, when some of my friends have said, hey, you know, you might have a, you know, a lawsuit or some shit, or you might have some sort of, I'm like, no, if it is true, I'm honored,
3: Yeah, you right, know? Right. One of the things that I think sets your book apart from a lot of books is that, Because you had some really amazing experiences both in the New York area and in the Hollywood area, you can set your stories in both places, and they're truly authentic and believable.
0: No matter where I go, I will always be a New Yorker. Yeah. Wow. Okay? And opportunity and the industry and stuff like that is out here for me, okay? But my youngest daughter's first words were let's go rangers you know wow. cool. <laughs> i guess everybody's that way about where they're from right. but new york definitely has a different dynamic a different attitude a different pace than anywhere else in the world and if you go you know into the the, the shadowy neighborhoods if you go where where decadence thrives there ain't no place like it
3: i moved down from boston in 1991, which was uh, kind of right at the tail end of what was going on at 42nd Street. And it was... Cool to read adult nature material, to hear yeah. what it was like when it, that was in its, its heyday. It totally <clears throat> took me back to that early 90s, late 80s, 42nd Street, which is gone. It doesn't yeah, exist it's gone. anymore. In fact, crazy story, early on, it was my 25th birthday. Mark took me to an Aerosmith concert, and on the way back, I got robbed. It was Mark right, and right I right walking down the street, right on 42nd right Street. And I thought I was gonna get stabbed, and, and I had a gold chain and a cross on it, but I struggled with the guy. It was two guys came up. And I wound up with the cross, but I was all scratched up. So that was my 42nd Street story.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm older than you gentlemen. I'm 44 years old. I go to my first show in 1977 at Madison Square Garden. It was Kansas with Dave Mason opening. Cool. Wow. I saw Bad Company at the Garden. Man. I saw ACDC with Bon Scott opening for Ted Nugent. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I saw Paul Deano's Iron Maiden open for Judas Priest at the Palladium. I saw Ozzy with Randy Rhodes at the original fucking Motorhead lineup opening. And Motorhead came out to the intro music of the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was fucking amazing.
2: Wow.
0: So I live up in Westchester, right? I get on the train. I get on the New Haven line. It takes me to Grand Central. From Grand Central you know, this teenage boy with other teenage boys, with the fellas I grew up on Rich Bell Road in Maranick, New York with, you know, now suddenly we're, we're like the fucking warriors, you know? We've got to get from Grand Central to the Palladium or Grand Central to the Beacon or Grand Central to Madison Square Garden, and we've got a certain amount of time to get there and, you know, maybe pick up some weed along the way. <laughs> right. And it was just wonderfully energetic decadent thriving scene that yeah it was scary yeah you got ripped off yeah you know there was places you shouldn't be and common sense says don't go there but do we always listen to common sense
3: nope
0: (laughs) so i remember one time i cut school in seventh grade i left junior high school to go down to 42nd street and uh Get a fake
3: ID. The first trip I ever had on my own without my parents to New York, I went to 42nd Street and got a fake ID.
0: And you know there were those those state ID, no photo, blue right. um, that looked like the old driver's licenses. I had a <laughs> fake ID. I had a I had a license that uh that my dear brother Peter gave me. Ever since I was like 15, and since I've been the same height since I was 15, I was going to like. Detroit's, which was the rock club in Port Chester, all right? Right. Um, the Left Bank in Mount Vernon, the Rising Sun in Yonkers. I was one of the sick motherfucking friends of Twisted Sister before oh, yeah, they right. had a record deal, okay? <laughs> and there was nothing more cool. Twisted Sister were to the East Coast what Guns N' Roses were to Hollywood, okay? Yeah, wow. Twisted Sister, when they would play Hellbent for Leather, OK, along with their originals like shoot 'em Down, when they would do Sin City by ACDC, you know, or, or Long Live Rock and Roll by Rainbow. And these were the fucking coolest jams of the, that time period. OK, you would be in a crowd of 800 or 1,200 Underground denim and leather wearing metal kids who have recently discovered the Scorpions Tokyo tapes, you know, who have recently discovered venom, who are just dying to rock and twisted were giving it to you all right, so I got fucking sidetracked from 40 seconds. No, no, that's right. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, Twisted
1: so, so, Sister sidetrack is always yeah, good on talking good. metal, definitely.
3: You weren't afraid of anything. I mean, I was reading some stuff on the, the Language of Fear website. You would mouth off to big kids and you didn't care if they, you know, fought you or whatever happened and you still just continue to do it.
0: I grew up with my fair share of insecurities. I grew up with, like, I need attention, and if the way to get attention is by throwing the first punch, and that's going to get me some fucking respect, even if I get my ass kicked, then that's what I had to do until, until this outlaw biker, this hard dude. He was in clubs like Dead Men Tell No Tales and The Tribe and all this kind of shit, and he pulls me aside, and he puts his arm around me. I mean, this is a fucking Vietnam veteran, all right? right. Wow. And he says to me, hey, Del, you know what? Fighting at the drop of a hat. Fighting every time somebody looks at you, cross, proves absolutely nothing and isn't getting you the respect you think it's going to get you. But if you're in the moment and for the right reasons, you wholeheartedly believe that this is what you got to do, then by all means, try to fucking be as effective and create as much havoc and damage as you can, because people will remember that one proper incident, then... You know, a dozen Mickey Mouse bullshit ones. Right. It, was wow. like, it was like biker zen, you know? Right. Oh,
3: wow. <laughs> like credo. <laughs> Makes sense.
0: <laughs> All right, so wait. Let me get back
3: to 42nd 40 40 second. Street.
0: yeah. So we cut school, right? It was me and my buddy Batwand. And Andy Perchio was there, too. So we go down to 42nd Street. We're looking for for fake IDs. We're going to go to the movies. We're going to go to the peep shows. We're going to get throwing stars. All the shit you got (laughs) to do, right, when you're in seventh grade or eighth grade. And we got arrested. This uh, truant officer, like plain clothes truant officer, grabs us, starts asking us these questions, and he shows us his badge, and he's like, you kids are under arrest, but the reason why you're under arrest is because we're here to protect you. We don't want you to get hurt or harmed or violated. And basically what they were doing was like trying to keep kids from being runaways. Wow. It didn't help me any that. All right, I'm fucking in trouble now, but you know, the cops were in the right as they usually are with me.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, we're being led to this room in the train station where, you know, they were going to like book you a little, you know, notify your parents and put you back on a train type scenario. Right. Okay. Wow. So we're going there. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, he can't catch me. There is no fucking way that if I start running, this fat Italian fuck is going to catch me, all right? (laughs) So it's like he read my mind. He goes, listen, kid, I know what you're thinking. And you're probably right that you can win a foot race. (laughs) But the thing is, the thing is, if I do catch you or any one of your friends, I'm gonna break your fucking leg so you don't run again. And he said it with like, like <laughs> wow. sincerity and conviction that I was like, you know what? I think I'll just take the fucking free train ride home and, oh, right. you know, the, the spanking I got coming at the other end.
1: Great stuff. Adele, you have just so much history, and I, I want to at least try to, to touch on a, a bunch of it here. Let's talk about R.I.P. magazine. You were the senior editor there, and, and John and I were big fans of that magazine back in the day. What are some of your fondest memories and interviews that you, you did for R.I.P.?
0: Yeah, Rip Magazine was like my first real job, you know? One friend took a chance on me, and I will forever be grateful to him. But because of the way I conduct myself, because of my ability to uh, hold my own either as a professional or as a professional fuck-up, I got along with a lot of people, and my phone would ring, and people would want to do interviews, blah, 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 blah. I interviewed Alice Cooper. And I was not sober, and he was. And it was a concept I couldn't wrap my head around, okay? Here's a guy who spent a million dollars in beer, and he's no longer drinking. How the fuck is that possible? <laughs> so so I'm asking him questions, and, and, you know, it's kind of leaning toward the, the question that I'm about to ask him. And uh, I'm like, I'm trying to get him. I'm trying to break him, you know? And uh, I says, all right, here's the question. We're in this hotel room right now. The television's on, and CNN says that the nuclear missiles are heading our way. We got 20 fucking minutes before we're obliterated. Do you go into the minibar and have
2: a drink?
0: And his answer was, no, I go into the minibar and I have a Diet Pepsi. And my jaw hits the ground. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, here's why. Because if I went in to the minibar and had a drink, I lost to my addiction. I lose, and I don't want to go out a loser. And those words have stuck with me wow. through my wow. sobriety, and I've been sober for nearly 17 years. Well, wow. Congratulations. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's a great line from Alice. Wow.
0: So I got to interview the Stones. I got to interview Keith now, and Woody at the Cotton Bowl. I did some great, great interviews with Axel. You know, I mean, Axel and I were, we're as gang tight as you can get, but some of the interviews that he and I did. Back then, you know, they're still being ripped off by, you know, writers with agendas and uh, books that they're trying to sell. But, you know, the only reason that they're trying to sell those fucking books is, is self-serving purposes. It's got nothing to do with uh, any sort of integrity.
3: Right. So, Dale, I wanted to ask, I know you wrote with Guns N' Roses, but how did you start writing with Testament and TNT and people like Rhett Forrester?
0: I moved to California in 85. And in 85, probably my first friend in town is West Arkeen. And West Arkeen's right. living next door to Duff McKagan, and Axel is crashing periodically on Wesley's floor. Those are the first people who I meet. And we we're friends for the same reason that you guys are friends because you have the same interests, because you speak the same language, because you dig the same things, and there's this energy that exists between you. Right. So in West's one bedroom, no, 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 no studio apartment later on west later on wesley and i become roommates and that's where like places like hell house come to be okay in west studio apartment is where the garden was written is where that obsession was written and this is on a four track with a drum machine okay and if you happen to be at the right place at the right time you were part of these wonderful and now Legendary Recordings. So I was there for The Garden, and I was there for Yesterday's. So much like the November Rain video got me my book deal, having written these songs with Guns N' Roses who blow up as big as you can fucking blow up, suddenly got interest in, hey, maybe this guy can write a song with someone else. I go out, I get a publishing deal as a lyricist, Hmm. And through the A&R people at certain places, whether it was Warner Chapel or Virgin or EMI, they put me in contact with certain people, and we wrote songs. You know. I wrote with Kane Roberts after he leaves Alice Cooper. Wow. You know what I mean? Kane, I wrote the with, big uh, muscle bound guy. Exactly, but he was no, he was off the juice, he was a little skinny guy. He was
3: muscular and then he got off of that and then he slimmed down a little bit.
0: I-, I wrote with Stan Lynch, Tom Petty's drummer after he leaves the Tom Petty band. I wrote with Rhett Forrester one night at my house in Sherman Oaks. All kinds of interesting songwriting experiences, you know, stuff like testament because i've been on every album since souls of black people know about those i saw them two nights here at the key club in uh, hollywood it, it was devastating really they were fucking crushing all right everybody else motorhead heaven and hell and and priest the opener is gonna fucking light the house on fire wow and i have a bunch of songs on their new record. Have you guys heard the, the Formation of Damnation? Are you guys dialed into that one yet?
1: I have it on my iPod, but I'm still checking it out. But I've heard a couple of the cuts and it sounded real good.
0: All right, without sounding like yet another shameless plug or shill, it's crushing. It's old school thrash the way it's supposed to be. And Paul Bostoff in that band is devastating. I think I wrote about five songs with Chuck. Chuck Billy will come down to my house. You'll have the music. You'll have the melody. And then, like, we we put together these satanic crossword puzzles. It's like, all right, what'll fit there to this melody? And what rhymes with evil? (laughs) I co-wrote the title track and uh, The Persecuted. I'm really proud of a song called Leave Me Forever that was uh, inspired by a dear, dear friend of mine and what she overcame. You know, her ugly relationship was was something that probably would kill most people. But she's strong. And I wrote that as a uh, tribute to her strength. And then it was awkward having to, like, show it to her. You know, it's like, hey, I think I just wrote the I spit on your grave of love songs. And, you know, it's kind of about you. No, it is about you. And uh, she got the positive intentions. Cool, cool.
1: Now we have a lot of Guns N' Roses fans who listen to the the Talking Metal podcast so we wanted to just touch on a couple GNR questions. How often do you actually talk to
0: Axel? How often do I I Axel besides being my boss is you know my best friend. So how often do you talk to your best friend?
3: Quite 10 times please. a day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I mean we talk about sports. We, we we do regular guy shit but you know he's Axel Rose and everybody's interested in Axel Rose.
1: Now, you mentioned a bunch of bands earlier that you're into and you used to go see back in the day, but I just wanted to throw a couple names at you. and Thin Lizzy. Oh, yeah, bring it. Thin Lizzy. What's the best Thin Lizzy
0: record? There is no best. They are all amazing. My favorite is Bad Reputation, okay? Songs like Dear Lord are poetically beautiful, but lately I've been listening to Renegade a lot. I saw Thin Lizzy on the Black Rose Tour opening for Journey. I had to hitchhike in Miami to the Miami High Life Fronton Center to go catch Thin Lizzy, and I cherish the memories and that I was able to see that classic lineup. Although, here's some fucking useless information for you. Gary Moore had just left the band, and his replacement on guitar was Mid-Year from Ultravox.
3: Wow. Wow. I think it's really great that your daughter shot the photo of you in the thin Lizzy shirt that's in the book.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, here's some more useless information. When Guns N' Roses played The Rich on the MTV concert and Axel's wearing that thin Lizzy shirt that got ripped off his back when he jumped into the audience, I gave him that shirt. That's (laughs) good. And he wore it, of course, to, you know, send a shout-out, respect, and love, you know, the, the way that... I mean, come on. I definitely wore a Thin Lizzy shirt in in my cover photo, not in my back cover photo, because they're my favorite band of all time, okay? Wow. Philip Lanotte is is my hero. How cool and and how strong of an individual. I've read all the books. I'm a nerd when it comes to collecting the memorabilia. I buy shit that doesn't fit me to give to other people, you know. (laughs) Hey, man. I can't wear this but it, it's amazing, it's vintage, and I think it looked great on you. You know that's
1: cool. Black Sabbath.
0: God, how much pot can one person smoke throughout the course of a lifetime to Black Sabbath? I remember the end of Children of the Grave with the headphones on with <laughs> scaring the fuck out of me. All right. Favorite Sabbath record is uh, Sabbath bloody Sabbath and the first two tracks of Sabbath Bloody Sabbath into a National Acrobat. National Acrobat is fucking sinister.
1: And of course Led Zeppelin.
0: I love me some Led Zeppelin. The power of Led Zeppelin especially when they're at their earliest. There was nothing like Led Zeppelin but uh, if you gave me a choice between Led Zeppelin and Humble Pie I have to take Humble Pie. Really? Yeah. Humble Pie are the greatest undiscovered treasure that still exists in rock and roll, okay? Steve Marriott should be spoken about with the same reverence that we have for Robert Plant. You know, there's others. There's Frankie Miller, there's Terry Reid, there's all these great vocalists who never sold the amount of records who who don't get the name check. Fucking Ronnie Van Zandt, you know? It, oh, it,
3: great vocalist.
0: And you go deeper than the obvious. You, you go into, uh, into songs like Cry for the Bad Man and shit like that. That's fucking, that's great rock and roll that's 20-some-odd years, 30-some-odd years later, still resonates. Ain't nobody can do what those people did back then. And you know, if you want to get into like the whole philosophical difference, the discussion about what went wrong or what's gone wrong, why isn't there like, who's the new great hard rock band? Who is it? Somebody fucking tell me, you know, but you you go back to my youth and you've got bands like Foghat that are just crushing as an opening act or, or playing the Palladium, you know, Rick Derringer, Johnny Winter, all these amazing UFO. I fucking love UFO.
1: Yeah, we okay? just had Michael Schenker on the podcast. Actually,
0: Michael Schenker is the secret weapon to Slash's success. Really? If you go wow. back, if you go back and listen to what Schenker's solos do and the way you know he maximizes a lot of solo notes and shit like that, and then <laughs> listen to what Slash does afterwards, you can draw a parallel.
3: There was a great underrated group in the late 80s called Raging Slab that I know that you know that I always loved.
0: Yeah, Greg and Elise and I certainly threw back a few beers in our day. Cool. Very good. You know who we have to give a shout out to <laughs> if we're going to talk about what's, what's wonderful right now? The Backyard Babies. The Backyard Babies, they embody the heart and soul of what decadent rock and roll should be. The Chelsea Smiles. Bands like that The Black Halos, you know? Mm -hmm. Bands like that, they still come from that fucking Dead Boys, ACDC, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, that cast. Yeah, sure. That mold. Is Todd Youth in the Chelsea Smiles? Todd Youth is indeed, and he just sent me a bunch of their new stuff, and it's killer. Cool.
3: We'll definitely check those guys out. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I caught the Wild Hearts just recently out here. Ginger and CJ were amazing. I mean, it was a greatest hit set that just, like, song after song after song was awesome. The Almighty just did shows over in England, and they're going to be doing some more. That's a band who never got their just due.
1: Cool. How often do you get out to shows, Dell?
0: How many days in a week you got? <laughs> hey, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. If there's something to see, I'm there. You know what I mean? I had to see Heaven and Hell the first time there was an opportunity to do I had to see Judas Priest with Hallford after they reunited the first chance I had to. You know, tomorrow night here at a club called Safari Sam's Junkyarder playing. Oh, right? I remember
3: Junkyard, yeah.
0: Fuck yeah, David Roach is my boy. So, you know, we're we're a little older and, you know, not nearly half as handsome as we once were, but fuck. I <laughs> I actually, days.
1: store used to wear a Junkyard shirt yeah, like back in the day and some video.
0: Junkyard, o- junkyard opened... Uh, I think at Perkins Palace a show or two, and those guys were great. Chris Gates and and, and Pat Mazinga. I was with Junkyard in Las Vegas, and they were doing some club. And you, you know the morning after when you're getting on the bus, everybody's got like, knotted hair and puke (laughs) on their shoes and and it becomes the war story session you know it's like oh man last night i met this chick and blah blah blah. oh fuck that dude last night i was you know i was throwing dice and i had to borrow more money and oh man i'm so broke so it goes you know one story to another to another that comes around to my boy pat It's like so like man fuck all you guys I got married last night. And
2: I'm
0: like, <laughs> no. You did what? Yeah. The chick would not put out unless they got married and my boy fucking went for it. <laughs> that's,
3: that's classic. Fucking, that's that rock and roll.
0: That is classic.
3: Now now I want to make sure that all of the talking metal listeners know where to A get the language of fear and also keep their eyes and ears open for a celebration of pain.
0: The easiest way of getting my book that's out now the reprint of my short horror stories the language of fear is through any of like the major online booksellers amazon.com borders.com com, any one of those you know one touch shopping they can do it for you you can go into a bookstore and if they don't have it in stock they can order it for you and it'll usually be there in less than a week And if you want a signed copy, I just did a book signing at at this awesome bookstore in Burbank called Dark Delicacies, and I signed a bunch of extra ones so people can go to darkdel.com, d-a-r-k-d-e-l, Dark Delicacies, and uh, you know they don't jack up the price or anything like that. So. Cool. There's a bunch of books there.
1: We'll have all these links up in today's show notes, guys, at TalkingMetal.com.
3: Plus, you have a great website, LanguageOfFear.com.
0: LanguageOfFear.com is my official webpage. My MySpace is MySpace.com, The Language of Fear. The MySpace, and I was really resistant to it, but when I knew that the book was coming out, I knew that this was the means of promoting, of advertising. And, you know, I've met a lot of really cool people. But I guarantee you that a good portion of the sales is making people aware of it through the MySpace. Right. I, I mean, fuck, what a great marketing tool.
1: And a celebration of pain is going to be like a, a long novel. It's not short stories, right?
0: That's correct. Cool. A celebration of pain in a nutshell is he does not believe in love, she is afraid of love, and the third. Party in this love triangle, the killer videotapes his murders as expressions of love for her.
3: This is set in the New York area, right?
0: It's so New York. It's so New York, you feel like you got fucking, like, pizza grease on you. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, there's a guy who sounds a lot like me narrating it, and I'm very proud of it, and I, I hope that the people who I'm with, Del Bantham, decide to, you know, yeah, let's cut the deal. But even if they don't, my goal in the re-release of The Language of Fear was to get some sort of interest and get this novel out of my hard drive and into bookstores. And I will fucking do that this year.
1: Awesome, definitely.
0: It's violent, it's decadent, it's druggy, it's smutty. What is at the heart of the story is a fucking love story, you know?
3: a deranged one, right?
0: An extremely dysfunctional love story, but, you know, I wouldn't go as far as say that I'm an extremely dysfunctional person, but I definitely have my flaws. I definitely have my insecurities, and I get to exercise a lot of those by writing them, you know?
1: Right. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Del. We really appreciate your time, and we encourage all the Talking Metal
3: listeners to pick up a copy of The Language of Fear. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Dell. I think it's appropriate that your book is on Dell Books. Right. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we really appreciated this. We were looking forward to interviewing you for a long time. And uh, we could probably talk your ear off for hours, but we appreciate dude, your time.
0: Dude, I love this shit. What are you talking about? You know, I mean, I go to gigs and hang out outside bullshitting about you saw what show? You know, where'd you right, get that right. shirt? You got this bootleg? <laughs> Dude, you got some Rory Gallagher. I don't get the fuck out of here. You know.
3: <laughs> well, Dell, we'd love to have you back on anytime. You want to come on Talking metal to talk at any subject you want, let us know, and you're, you're uh, right back on.
0: You guys, you guys are gonna start getting sick of me. Me and Bumblefoot, we're both moving in. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Very cool, fellas.
3: Have a good day. Thanks, Dale.